millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs. By which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 105, Closed for Business. Today's proverb comes to us from G.K. Chesterton. I'll read it twice. The object of opening the mind, as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. Once more. The object of opening the mind, as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. What is an open mind? Before I answer that question, I want to tell you on an editorial note that I have had to go back and begin re-recording this episode several times. And the reason for that is that I keep referring to open mouths when I mean open minds and vice versa. It's very hard to keep them straight. It's very hard to talk about them and to keep them straight. So I'm probably going to make that error a few times in the course of this take. I don't want to restart it. I think it's enough to say that open mouths and open minds are so much like each other, it's hard to keep them straight. This said, what's an open mind? When do we say keep an open mind? Think about circumstances where you say to someone, well, keep an open mind, have an open mind, or when they say that to you. 
it's typically the case that keep an open mind is something we say when we're about to tell someone something strange, unusual, off-putting. And we say keep an open mind because there's more to it than it may seem initially. It's not what it seems. It's not as unusual as you might think. Or I'm going to give you some food and you can learn to like it. There's a learning curve here. You'll like it a little more with every bite you take. So don't let the first bite define what you think of this food. We don't say keep an open mind when we're about to give somebody something totally normal. Normal things don't require an open mind. Common things, typical things, don't require an open mind. It's unusual things that require an open mind. Open mouth. <laughs> there, I did it again. Minds are like mouths in that they have to close on something if we're going to stay alive. A mouth has to close on food, drink. It has to close on the Eucharist. An open mouth or a mouth that is always open, a mouth that's open constantly for days on end, is a starving mouth. You can't keep your mouth open all the time for more than a few days without dying. And there's a sense in which our minds are the same way. Mouths close on bread. Minds close on wisdom. And wisdom is sometimes referred to as the bread of angels. It's what angels survive on. Angels don't need food to live. They need wisdom to live. Wisdom is the food and drink of angels. And so in the same way that mouths need to close on food, minds need to close on wisdom. It strikes me that there are fitting times in life to have an open mind. And beyond, before and after this particular age range, the mind really needs to remain fairly closed for your safety. Closed mouth is for your own safety. If you're walking around, you ought to have your mouth closed. You wouldn't walk around a mall with your mouth wide open. No telling what would get in there. Imagine keeping your mouth open while you're on a motorcycle ride. Imagine what kind of bugs are going to fly in there at 70 miles an hour. I would say that in this age, going on the internet with an open mind is like taking a motorcycle ride with an open mouth. All kinds of disgusting, nasty things are going to fly in there at warp speed. Love is a closed mind. Think of it this way. At a man's wedding, 
He takes vows to close his mind. He takes vows to close his mind off from other women. And to close his mind onto one woman. Of course, the woman does the same. Vows are closed minds. Vows are also closed hearts. Closed on one thing, off from everything else. Well, that's probably a decent segue to describe the point in life where I believe an open mind is justifiable. I would say between, if not justifiable, where at least an open mind is understandable. And I would say that an open mind is fairly understandable between the moment you leave your parents' house and the moment you get married. And what's rather fascinating about that, that age range, how about this, whether or not your mind should be open between leaving your parents' house and getting married, this is often the way that things work. Minds are often open at this point. And I think this is because between leaving your parents' house at 18 or 19 and getting married at 27, 28, 29, you don't really have a home. Homes and minds go together. A secure home is a secure mind. But if you're anything like me, between the age of 19 and 26, it was 26 when I got married, I had so many mailing addresses, I can't even remember them all. I had no fixed location. I lived in many uh, different apartments and houses and basements. I had no fixed location. And that was also the point in my life when I had an open mind. And maybe the two sort of mystically go together, mysteriously go together. There's no way of accounting for the fact that homes are like minds, but they are. When I had no fixed home, I had an open mind, which is to say that my ideas changed rather rapidly between 18 and 27, 28, 29. In that decade-long period where I was moving around a lot, my ideas were changing rapidly. I forget where it was that I told this story. It may have been a book. It may have been in a, a podcast. But when I was 28, maybe 27, 27 or 28, I was on this trajectory to becoming an extremely liberal, progressive sort of person. And this is not how I was raised. I was raised in a conservative-minded home. Not a home that was so fond of tradition. How about just a Republican home? was raised in a Republican home. And like so many people, when I left the house, when I left my parents' home, I left their ideas behind as well. 
location and ideas are connected. I got married at 26 and it really, I would say it took me two years after marrying for marriage to fully catch up with me. I'd say it took two years for the fact and the implications of marriage to really sink deeply into my mind. And about the time I had my first child, I came to a crossroads. And I left all of those progressive ideas behind. Maybe almost all of them. If you were to pick my brain today, you would probably still find three or four boilerplate progressive ideas still floating around there somewhere. At the same time, pretty much everything else is grounded on the concept of tradition, inheritance, heirlooms, receiving the past with gratitude, preferring the devil I know to the devil I don't. A good deal of my next book, Love What Lasts, is devoted to a rational defense of tradition. But there was this period in my life where my ideas changed rapidly and my uh, location changed rapidly. And it was because I had an open mind. I had a mind that was keen to light on new things and take delight in them. When your mind is open, your body is open too, in a way. I think this is why people in their 20s get so many tattoos. They have open minds and there's something painful about having an open mind. You want permanence. You want fixedness. You have this feeling that everything is in this constant state of flux and it's terrifying because you have no idea how far the change could possibly go. I think tattoos are an unnecessary search for permanence or a, a misguided search for permanence at least. Because so few of the ideas that you tinker with in your 20s are actually ideas that have much value by the time you're in your 30s or 40s. Open minds are looking for new things. Open minds are looking for new ideas, they're looking for new pleasures, they're looking for new paths to permanence. There's something youthful about novelty, and there's something old about fixedness. We search for new things because we're not content with the things that we have. We want new things. We keep an open mind because nothing that we have thus far seems like it's worth holding on to. As soon as you have something that's worth holding on to, you become stable. You become conservative. You want to conserve that which you love. When you're in your 20s, you don't know what you love. You don't even know who you love. Your mind and your heart have not yet closed on anyone. 
So you're searching for new things, open to new things, delight in new things. If you found the same desire for new things in old people, I think it would be fair to assume that they were discontent with how they lived their life. To search for new things, to be constantly looking for new things when you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, I might even say in your 40s, to be looking for new things at these, uh, at, during these decades of life is a way of admitting that you haven't really spent your time all that well. My desire for new things has declined rather rapidly as I get older. My favorite things now are things that I've seen a hundred times, read a hundred times, listened to a hundred times. I mean, imagine for a moment that there's some, you know, some 65-year-old man from church. And you're standing around drinking coffee after church and this, you strike up this conversation with a 65-year-old man. And after a minute or two, he says to you, have you heard the new Coldplay album? Just came out the other day. Oh, it's so great. Now you might be, for a moment, you might be delighted. Huh, old guy listens to Coldplay. That's funny. Maybe you don't like Coldplay. I don't really like Coldplay. But it's just kind of, it makes you smile that this old guy's into Coldplay. But the longer you think about it, you think, why are you, why are you listening to new music? Why are you listening to music that came out yesterday? Why are you still searching for new things? Did you not find anything in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s that was worth listening to over and over again? Why are you still hunting for new things? Are you bored with everything that came before it? No, I don't want to jump down the throat of this hypothetical old person. And if the new Coldplay album is the only new thing this guy has gotten into in the last decade, that does seem like a singular sort of thing. What? It's fine. But if you've got a guy who's in his 60s who is following new music releases, if you've got some 65-year-old guy who reads Pitchfork every day and is constantly minded to find the hottest new bands. How strange. Why don't you like any of the old stuff? Was none of that worth going back to? Do you not have tastes that are profound enough to hold up over a longer period of time? And if you're still looking for new things now, at 65, there's very little chance that anything that you find now is really going to be all that consequential to you next year or the year after. The younger decades of your life are spent, should be spent, typically are spent finding the things that you're going to be stuck with for the rest of your life. That's one of the reasons why, that's the chief importance of youth. 
The chief importance of youth is you are finding the things that you're going to be stuck with in your 40s and 50s and 60s. So much of youth, you know, through the age of 26 to 27 is just revisited over and over and over again the older you get. Because the older you get, the more you look back. And the more you look back, the more stuck you are with the choices that you made when you're younger. Which is why the music you listen to at 16 is way more important than the music you listen to at 36. It's just going to sink more deeply into you. If you, if you want to... I, I did this longer lecture for Cersei maybe four or five years ago. And the lecture is called something like Nostalgia, Your Own Personal Old Testament. And if you, if you go back in the archive, you can find this um, on the Circe blog. It shouldn't be that hard. And that was a lecture given at a summer conference. It's long. I think the, the blog that I posted is probably seven, 8,000 words. It's massive. And I give a longer treatment to this idea there, that the, the, the things that you listen to and watch in your youth are shaping your soul in a way that's very hard to reshape later on. And because you know it's going to be, re, it's going to be hard to reshape it, it's often just easier to go back to the things that you loved at 18 or 19 when you're 40 than it is to find new things. And that's since you're stuck with them. So I still, like, I remember there was this, there was a couple, like, turning points in my life so far as my engagement with arts and culture went. One of those significant points was the summer of 2002. Summer of 2002 was incredibly important to me. I won't get into why. But... There were a handful of records that came out in the summer of 2002. And one of them was a record called The Last Broadcast by a band called Doves. And there are few records in my life that I have listened to as constantly as I listened to that album that summer. I remember this very clearly, obviously 20 years later. And it was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 other albums that came out that summer that meant something to me, but, but this was the one I listened to it every time I got in my car. And I had this, this point, and this, what I'm about to say, might sound incredibly arrogant, probably is incredibly arrogant, or at least very short-sighted. It was the summer of 2002. Uh, I think this was also around the time that Ryan Adams' Demolition came out. That might have, that might have come out in the fall 2002. I had this moment where I said, I think I'm just done looking for new things. Dude, these are, these are the records I'm going to listen to for the rest of my life. 
I would rather listen to these than go looking for anything new. Obviously. I was 21 years old, 22 years old. I was 21. And so this was a very short-sighted, you know, laughable sort of resolution. And I think I probably knew that at the time. But the thing was, I wanted it to be true. I wanted it to be true that I was done looking for new things. And even at the age of 21, I was, I was thinking, I had my shot. I had my shot. I've listened to so much, watched so much, there just seems something sort of pathetic about going out and looking for new stuff. I think I'm done. This is it. 2002. I don't want to listen to anything that comes out after 2002. <laughs> now, obviously this didn't pan out. But even as it didn't pan out, even as new things came out and friends told me, oh, you have to hear this, you have to see this, you have to read this. And I went along with it. Even as that happened, I recognized that the problem was not the realization I had. The problem was not the resolution I had. I don't need any more music. The, the problem was just the time frame. Like, I was too young to say that. But I recognized that it would be true in the future. That I would get to a point where I was just done looking for new things. Fast forward about 15 years. I think this was around the time, yeah, 2017, 2018. It was around the time How to Be Unlucky came out. I realized that the fundamental decision I made when I had time and desire to watch a movie, the first decision I made was not the genre or the actors. The primary decision, the first decision I made was, do I want to see something I've seen before or something I haven't seen before? That was my primary, that's the primary decision to make. And when, I, and when I thought of all the genres, I think of all the, you know, all the genres of films, comedies and dramas and action films and thrillers and horror stories, anything about all the decades and different styles of filmmaking, pre-Brando, post-Brando, uh, pre-Hays Code, um, post-Hays Code, all the different actors to want to watch a De Niro movie, Philip Seymour Hoffman drama, something with Cary Grant. Do I want to watch a movie with kids in it so my kids want to watch it too? For all the different sorts of decisions that there are to make and the sort of desires that make you start looking in one area of Netflix as opposed to another for a film. Let's look at drums. Let's look at thrillers. But the, the fundamental decision that I made every time I sat down to watch something was, do I want to watch something I've seen before or not? And I realized that, granted, this is going to sound very subjective. This is nothing more than personal testimony. But 
when I was at my best, when I was more in control of my thoughts, when I had a leg up on my vices, and I asked, what do I want to, what do I want to watch? The answer when I was in that frame of mind was always something I've seen before. I don't need something new. I want something old. And I think that's because the older you get, the more comfort you take in closing your mind on something so that you can really receive it. And open mind is tumultuous. People with open minds are violent and aggressive. It's not true. I don't believe it. I don't believe that a closed mind makes people fanatics. I think you're far more apt to find, if you do, were to do a survey of all the fanatics out there, if you were to do a survey of all the people that are wrecking cities in mobs, that most of them have open minds. Most of them have minds that are so open, they have not made themselves comfortable with their ideas for more than a year or two. Their resolutions are still recently made. The paint is still fresh on their convictions. And they're really afraid of anybody <laughs> touching that fresh paint. So they lash out and freak out when anything challenges their ideas because they're like, oh no, I don't want to change again. But they know it's a possibility. Don't change my mind. Stop changing my mind. I'm like a, I'm like a man possessed who is sometimes thrown into the fire and sometimes thrown into the water. Stay away, stay back. Whereas people whose minds have closed on something will defend the thing that their minds have closed on. But unless those things are being attacked, they're just generally more tranquil. Got a closed mind? Got a closed front door. What I want is to settle down for the evening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.